We individualize training in the pool. So why not individualize your nutrition? Erica Barney of Barney Wellness Building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans. So stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body. Athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates. Erica understands swimming. She gets it. She's worked with over 20 Olympians, including the fastest man in the world, Caleb Dressel. Group discounts are available. So go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B-E-I-N-E, wellnessbuilding.net. Credit. Matt Credit is willing to talk about anything. Welcome, everybody. Matt Credit, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's awesome to see you, Brett. Yeah, it's awesome to see you, man. I, I love seeing you, actually. You're, it's just a, it's a friendly face. Um, but you know what I love about you, Matt, is I know how hard you work. And, and I, can, I can appreciate the time and effort you put into being good at your job. And I just, um, I just admire people like that. But you're, you're top of the tree for me. You're just one of these people that thoroughly loves what they do. You uh, affect the world of swimming in such a positive way. And you're just a real inspiration and role model for a lot of people. So I just, I'm just glad to call you my friend, you know? Thanks, Brett. I, uh, I always felt like when we were on deck together, that we, that there was this kind of kindred spirit that that's what we were trying to do is yeah. be, you know, great for the athletes that we're coaching and, and always looking for the next thing to elevate the sport. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, I mean, I'll never forget seeing you in Beijing, uh, like up in the the concourse between between events, and just thinking, you know, what known this guy a small bit of time, and he's done this phenomenal job with this phenomenal athlete. Mm -hmm. I think it was Caesar at the time, and yeah, um, and j just sharing those experiences, it, it's. I think a, a different feel than sometimes you have on a pool deck where you feel like people are trying to, um, I mean, we, we always tried to beat each other's teams. Right. We yeah. Trying to diminish. Mm. The other. And mm -hmm. so I, you always, I felt like having coaches like you on the deck brings out the best in me and certainly in, in the athletes that I coach. So yeah, I felt really lucky to be in a conference like the SEC because honestly, I felt like all the coaches were really like that. You know, we were all trying to beat the hell out of each other. Yeah. But, but when we did, we were the first person to go over and shake the other person's hand and say, congrats oh, yeah. on, on kicking my butt today. You know, like it's yeah. just the way it is in the SEC. I really, I really appreciated all the coaches in there. Um, and listen, one of the things I wanted to do uh, consistently when I started this podcast and what it evolved into i wanted to continually go back to why why i'm doing this right like you never want to forget why you started and what and what what your purpose is and my purpose is to support and highlight and uplift programs like yourself and and coaches like yourself and, and athletes in your program like i always want to put a spotlight on great people doing great things in the sport. I want it to be a positive place where people can feel like that's what the purpose is. Like when I come on to Brett's show, like he's going to tell everybody how great we are because he truly believes that. And that's, that's what you're doing. So I never want to lose that purpose. So in terms of why we're doing this today, part of the reason is 
you've got something amazing going on in the next couple of months that, that you and I want to promote and talk about. And I want to be that facilitator for that. So if people can connect with it and, and jump into that, then I want them to know about that. So before we get into all of the other stuff that people want to know about and in terms of how you get people to swim fast, what do you got coming up that's really exciting in the next couple of months? So, yeah, thank you. Um, we Essentially, we, we have what I think of as this phenomenal educational opportunity for mm -hmm. coaches. Um, it is called the School of Thought, the Matt Credit School of Thought. Mm -hmm. And the, the name, I think, was conjured up by my wife. <laughs> uh, when we first started this clinic, maybe seven or eight years ago, I had the great fortune of connecting with um, Jan Olbrecht, who is a, um, a sports physiologist who I think has impacted swimming. Um, at least I've heard many people on your podcast say that they were, they were are heavily influenced by Jan Olbrecht's right. kind of constructs um, around physiological concepts. And so through luck, I was able to find um, a buddy of yours, Romaine Barnier, mm. gave me um, Jan's email address. I connected with him. We started working together and he said, hey, I'd love to come out and see how you work. And like, wow, to have Jan Ulbricht on my pool decks is like a dream come true. Um, and he said, other people who have done this have kind of built clinics around it. So I, I and I, I said, I, I know, you know, dozens of coaches who would love to come and, and talk to you and learn from you. So we started a, a clinic really organically around essentially, I brought people in who could answer questions that I was asking at the time. Right. And Jan was the centerpiece. And we did that for three years and had a number of other people. And he, Jan was always the, the centerpiece. Uh, we did that for three years. And, and to me, it was, these were some of the, the greatest learning experiences in my life, mm -hmm. certainly to have these people around, but also have this community of coaches who were coming in, who had similar interests and ideas and questions and better questions than I did um, and spend one, two or three days with them. So mm. I've had since COVID and, and um, a couple of other things got in the way uh, after I think 17 was our last year to, to do it. I've had a number of people say, if you ever have it, I'm coming. So we're having it this year. And so awesome. Jan, Jan's coming back um, May 22nd through 24th um, to Knoxville and got a couple of actually a few really awesome additional people mm -hmm. um, who I think will create this this exciting and really pretty intensive three days of learning for for coaches who are interested. That's really cool. Now, um, you, you told me earlier that the the um, sign up for that opens up sometime this week. Yeah. So my <laughs> My son has put together a website, mattcredits.com, and mm -hmm. it's, uh, it should be able to accept registrations uh, by the end of the week. I need to get some stuff done on my end, but that'll be ready by the end of the week. So you can go visit the site now um, and sign up by the end of the week. How many spots are available? We're looking to limit it to about 60. Wow. Okay, cool. And, and are you guys helping arrange... Um, 
you know, hotels and transportation or anything like that? What's going on with the arrangements? So we're, we'll have some recommendations for hotels, right. get some special rates. Um, it's very walkable. So there are a few, one event that, first of all, I really want you to come. Uh, so you, you need to come to my house on the night of the 21st because we're going to have a welcome dinner there. I thought I was staying at your house. You are. We got the the bread hawk wing ready for Boom. you. There we go. Yeah. Um, and so that that's the only thing that'll be my house is, is a couple of miles from downtown, but everything else is walkable. So you can yep. stay downtown, walk to the pool, you can Uber to the pool. Cool. We'll have the, the clinic at a couple of different sites on campus. Um, there will be so a registration fee and tuition, and then we'll give recommendations for uh, hotels and the lunch meals and coffee will be taken care of. And um, we'll have a, a dinner social on one of the last two nights and opportunity to eat at some other great Knoxville restaurants on, on the other couple nights that you're here. Nice. Are you still associated with ASCA? I rotated off the board um, a couple of years ago, but ASCA has said that they will give continuing education yeah, yeah. credits for this. So, right. Yeah. Right. That was, that was my point. Yeah. That, that'd be a great, you know, thing for them to come and get some credit for that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. So just briefly, for those that don't know much about Jan Albrecht, tell, tell us briefly about his speciality and, and some of his beliefs. Yeah. So, um, Jan was one of a, a group of uh, scientists in the in the 80s who did quite a bit of research, creating essentially models, physiological models around performance in swimming, but it really applies to other cyclical sports. So sports in which you're operating a kind of a steady state, whether it's, you know, running for a distance, rowing for a distance, mm. swimming for a distance. Um, and he did some, some seminal work, but then wrote a book. So he, he wrote a book called The Science of Winning, which for a lot of people has become a Bible where, where he describes um, four qualities, four physiological qualities of an athlete, an athlete's state. So one would mm -hmm. be aerobic, your current aerobic capacity, mm -hmm. and then aerobic power is the ability to use that capacity. So mm -hmm. some people have a big aerobic capacity, but can't at this moment access it. Then there's anaerobic capacity and anaerobic power. So there's the two capacities, which are, you know, it's a good word, capacity, your, your ability to, at some point, um, create energy aerobically or anaerobically. Mm -hmm. Empowers your ability to to access that capacity now in this particular moment or or during a performance. Um, and for a long time, people were using we're doing lactate curves. So do a step test like seven two hundred different speeds. Take lactate after each one, and trying to figure out where the most critical training speeds were just based on that curve. Mm -hmm. And 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 I remember hearing John T. Skinner talk about that at one point actually, and saying, you know what, this is this is garbage. Like he, this is when he, and and this is not what Jan did. So this is the old model of just using straight lactate and speed as measurements. He ended up having 
what he thought was a terrible result with a couple of athletes who then made the Olympic team. So what, what Jan did was say, hey, there are a lot of these kind of hidden possibilities behind why a lactate curve may look like it does. Mm. And these different combinations of capacities and power can, can mean very different things, both for performance and for training implications. Mm. And so he, he describes it really well in his book, but it's, they're, they're not easy concepts to really internalize. Um, and so hearing him talk about it, I think can really open, open a lot of understanding for people and certainly has for me. And, and I, I've shared that experience with, with a lot of other people who have listened to him talk. So he essentially has a physiological model for sw swimming training f for high performance. Um, that's, you know, based around things that people have talked about uh, quite a bit, but where it gets really interesting is when uh, when somebody falls outside the bell curve. So they may have, they may be swimming really fast. They may um, be able to train really well, but it's possible that they're right on the verge of having some kind of a crash because they're, they're doing too much of the wrong thing in training. And mm. it's those maybe inex right. inexplicable downturns that, that you know that as as coaches we we all have had have had those moments you know somebody's just humming along and all of a sudden they're not or we they don't respond to the same type of training program in one season that they did the last season mm -hmm. you don't see the progression or you even see a downturn and and that's where this model has been it's been really useful to me to be able to kind of peek under the hood a little bit and see see what's happening yeah especially now right like you've come off secs and you're preparing for ncaa's and now's that point in time where there's a lot of individualization right and there's a lot of a lot of like what's going on with this person and how do i figure that out and you know so there's there's, there's constant feedback from the athletes too and you're trying to take all that in and make adjustments at the same time so how much of what you're doing now is still part of the plan? And then how much of that is on the fly adjustments? Ooh, yeah. So, I mean, that, that plan is really kind of the backbone. And, and, and the on the fly adjustments are, you know, it, it's, it's, it's impossible to say what percentage of a performance physiology plays because mm -hmm. there's the emotional right component there's the 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 mental component there's um yeah and 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 that's where we i think as coaches really have to tune in and and listen to the athletes that we're coaching and make sure that we're open to that kind of feedback mm. um so i think those those discussions that we have with them through a whatever you want to call it taper preparation period peaking period um, those discussions can reveal a lot if we're if we have good relationships and we're willing to listen. Hmm. And I think it's essential to have in your mind a um, kind of a, a, a performance structure that you're that that you're um, a scaffolding that you're basically building off of. So 
for instance, if, if Michael Hooley tells me that, you know, my, my legs are really heavy today, right. um, then I've got experience knowing what that means. And if it's a cumulative two or three days, you know, based on what we've seen in the past, then we'll stay away from any leg intensive stuff for the next couple of days because it's important for him and his confidence to feel quick with his legs, for instance. Right. Right. Um, and that may have not much to do with physiology, but it, it, it has a lot to do with his mental and emotional state. Right. As well. There's also Matt in this period of time though, there's also the idea that these things are going to happen, right? Like it, you're going to feel terrible during this period yeah. of time yeah. at, at points. Right. And so there's also that, that trust factor in the program and your, your knowledge and your experience, right? There's, there's part of that is trust, but we also live in a day and age where athletes want to know the why, why am I doing something? Why is this happening? There's a lot of questioning going on. So how much of what you know and what you've learned, maybe even from your learnings from, from Jan and, and other influences and all this knowledge you've, you've, you've got, how do you then give them what they need to know and then what they maybe don't need to know, you know, that balance between like knowing what you need to know and then not knowing too much, you know? Yeah. I have a really good friend that actually sat me down earlier this week and said, uh, you know, sometimes you probably give a little bit too much right. data to the, to, to the wrong people. And I, I appreciate that. Um, it is, it's a balance with, with every, every person that we coach. And I, I let, I think it's good to let the athletes uh, get what they want. So it, I never want, I mean, anytime anybody asks me why we're doing something, I, I do have an answer and I need to have an answer. And then I need to be able to communicate that as clearly as possible. Right. Right. Um, so those discussions happen fairly frequently. Um, uh, I appreciate also those that never ask because I do think that that comes out of a place of trust that, you know, they mm -hmm. trust what I and, and the rest of our coaching staff are, are doing is mm -hmm. as a purpose and that purpose is good and they're headed towards swimming fast. Um, but to your point earlier, you know, this is, this is a time of year and it's, it's a sport where I'll never guarantee you that, that on meet day, you're going to feel good. Like, and I don't think there's any coach that mm -hmm. they can't. Mm -hmm. So are you going to be a swimmer that needs to feel good to swim fast? Or are you going to be a swimmer that, that is going to get up and perform no matter what and take, right. you know, feel as feedback and have an answer for it. So your legs feel heavy, heavy today. Okay. That's the, maybe a challenge for today, but I've got something in my toolbox to, to deal with that through warm up or through a, a point of focus in a race. Right. So that, those conversations I think are important to have also. Mm. It's funny, like as a young athlete, uh, inexperienced athlete, I used to always think that the reason why I'm not feeling good is because of the physiology, because of the training, right? Like you always say, well, I missed my tape or I, I, I didn't get the proper training. Like there's always the training excuse. But what you learn over time is that there are many other factors that can influence the way you feel on a particular day. And part of that can be your emotional response to what's happening that day as well, right? Like Absolutely. you're you're nervous as all hell. And right. when you wake up, there's a lot of pressure on you to perform. 
And what you don't realize and give yourself uh, credit for is that you're under a very intense situation on that day. And that's going to have a huge effect on your body. And that may even have the effect of waking up and saying, my legs feel like shit today because your body is having this natural response of like freezing up in a way. And you may not even be aware of it. It's something that kind of sits in the background, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it, And that's a great point. Like where, where you put your attention will change from moment to moment at, mm -hmm. as an athlete. And, mm -hmm. and if you focus in on... Um, yeah, I mean, the, the nerves obviously can have many different effects from right. what you described to maybe you're not as hungry so that your nutrition is going right. to be a right. little bit different than you had planned or you forget to, to hydrate or, right. or, or anything. Or, you know, there are some people who, for, for reasons that I think end up making them great athletes, they, they can wake up on a day and feel like Superman or Superwoman and, and ride that too. You know, that, mm -hmm. that kind of person can be, they can almost dial that in at times. And, and that may be to the exclusion. They're just not going to pay attention to any fatigue signals that might be happening because they have that, that ability to have that high quality attention on the things that they need to, to lead towards great performance. Right, right, yeah, yeah. You're you're in a you're in a strange time, man. It's it's one of those ones that was very. It's always very difficult. It's one where, as a coach, you want to outwardly express confidence in the work that you've done, right? Like you walk onto the pool deck in the last few weeks, and you want everyone to know that you're confident and that you've got it all under control and everything's going to plan. And but it, on the inside, you're, you're like you know, I hope this, I hope this works. I hope that, you know, the, hope everything just falls into place. I hope they click when they need to click. Like you're, there's a lot of, there's still a lot of hope in the background there of like, you know, so it is a very strange sport where we go through this very emotional, physical turmoil in the last few weeks. And then hopefully at the end of it, you come out of it and you're, and you feel indestructible, you know? Yeah. And an exercise that I, I think is really helpful for me, um, is I, I mean we've had some great championship meets and then some championship meets where you know crazy stuff happens and I walk away feeling like boy we left a lot on the table. When I walk away from the meet each time, it seems a lot smaller than it did walking into it. Mm. And so I, I like to try to put my mindset on in the place where it is on like the Sunday after a championship meet and say, looking at it now, it would be easy for me to walk in and, and feel like our team can crush this. Mm -hmm. And because I think that's the truth, really, like you, you can walk into any meet with a mindset of we will crush this. And, wow. and it's easy to get lost in the weeds of, you know, this, this, stroke count has to be right or this pace has to be right or whatever but really the i mean it meets a small thing yeah <laughs> it's enormous in the moment and mm -hmm. in, a, in a career it can be you know pretty small and that has a way of making the what seems like a, an obstacle or a big challenge really you know not that hard to solve just with determination and and forward thinking and belief and especially tapping into uh, what other people around you 
can do. You know, tap into the strength of other people and the possibilities right. for other people. It has a way of taking taking the attention off yourself. Right. Hey, listen, I appreciate that people are in here watching us live, and I want to give um, give some love. Uh, Nicholas uh, says here um, what you would think of using HRV to assess how athletes are dealing with stress and strain they put through. What's what's HRV? That's heart rate variability. Okay. Um, you're actually not far from the headquarters of Whoop, which is yep. a, a company we've been partnering with since about 2015. Mm -hmm. And the Whoop gives a daily reading of HRV, which we found to be really useful and really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think she'd mind me saying this, but like Kira Toussaint was one of the earliest adopters on our team of the of Whoop. Yep. When she had three days of low HRV, it was highly likely that on day four or five, she would get sick or hurt. Mm. Like she, so that information is really useful and, and, and it's become more, more useful. I think less useful for the coaches and more useful for the athletes over time, because it's something that's understood more by our athletes. We, we, our strength and conditioning coach, um, Greg Adamson kind of leads the implementation of, of the whoop and the interpretation of the da data with the athletes. He's done a great job of kind of turning over that process to them and say, hey, you know, if you're having consistently low HRV, then let's talk about it. And we can address it through sleep. We can address it through nutrition, like nutrition timing. We can address it through stress in the rest of your life. Which of, the, which of these factors do you think it might be? And wh where do you want to turn your attention first? Hmm. Um, so it, for us, it's been a really valuable feedback tool. Awesome. Great question. Please keep the questions coming. Um, Matt's open to them and we're here to answer your questions on, on what you want to know about the Tennessee program. I want to know something. Um, how many women have you got qualified and uh, how are you feeling about your, your chances going into the meet next week? Feeling great about this, this group of women. It's 10 swimmers, one diver uh, qualified individually. Hopefully we'll get another one, another one or two divers today. Um, and then we, we have two relay only swimmers who are going to be pretty critical. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's just a great group. They, I think performed, I mean, each person that qualified performed really well at the SEC championship and each person that qualified feels strongly that their best swimming is ahead of them. Uh, so we've got four really strong relays, um, We've, we, we've got for us, um, you know, some, we're a little more distance heavy, like two, 200 and up, uh, dominated this year than we've been in the past. And that's really mm -hmm. exciting. Um, cause that type of training group, I think builds confidence off of each other and they've, they've been killing it this year. They've been really, really fun to watch develop. Nice. Another question here. Um, what's the secret to recruiting Canadians? Um, coffee crisp and, uh, wearing roots clothing on recruiting visits. And, um, I, I think, I mean, Tess Chaplua was, was, I believe the first Canadian that we had come down here and she, she has had quite a bit of success. And I think people from teams or countries will, will go where, right where it's been shown to be safe. And yeah, there's, 
the NCA has a different kind of reputation in different places based on the experience of the athletes that have come from, from other countries. And, um, and I think Canadians, a lot of Canadian coaches and swimmers are cautious and Tess had quite a bit of success long course. And so others have, yeah. have followed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had a little Brazilian streak going there for a while based on, you know, having one Brazilian swimmer go fast and all of a sudden you get a, an influx wanting to come. So certainly, um, that's cool. You, you might have an influx from the Caribbean now, I guess. Yeah. And, and Brazil as well. We're, yeah, Brazil. You got yeah. a Brazilian boy going far. I listen, I actually didn't talk much about him on on the last time uh, I did a podcast. So, like, tell tell me about this kid. Uh, I don't know much about him. Guilherme Caribe Oliveira Santos hmm. um, is just a wonderful human being. He's a. Uh, it, it, it's funny. He he and Jordan trained together quite a bit. Jordan Crooks, but they're so different. Um, in the way that they move across the water, the way they create speed. Uh, Guy, Guy had a great progression leading into his time at Tennessee and continued that in December where he went 21-8 or 7 and then uh, 47-8. And he's – I'd love to, to have you watch him swim. Mm. He, he's – all of 160 pounds mm -hmm. um, and he's quick and he jumps across the water and he's slippery. Um, he's got a real, I think um, he's got a sense of how to, how to accelerate, which is quite a skill. He, he, he can map out a, the space in a pool really well. Um, so he's, he's a, pretty masterful swimmer, both short and long course. And, and he's still there. He's still got quite a bit to learn. Yeah. Um, and he hasn't been trained at a real high volume or high intensity. And I think he can certainly get stronger, but he's, he's accelerate. His performances are, are tracking really well. And, and a big part of it is, you, you know, always is he's so open. Like he's mm. He's really willing to learn. He's um, never seen him look like he's had a bad day, which I love, and really invest in his teammates too. And he's he's constantly just picking stuff up. So he's like everybody I coach. He's really unique and and he's really special. Vasa has been the go-to training tool outside of the pool for over thirty years. Vasa's products are ideal for developing power and proper technique in your swimmer's catch. Add a few Vasa trainers to your pool deck and it's like adding an extra lane to your swimming pool. Go to vasatrainer.com, use code BREAD at checkout and get 10% off anything from Vasa. Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 a double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, -T, at checkout, destromachines.com. Here's an interesting question because the reason why I say it's interesting, I think maybe 10 years ago, there was this real shift into getting as strong as we possibly can, right? Getting in the weight room, getting stronger. 
and 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 we saw that throughout America. Everyone was everyone was getting in the weight room, and that was the shift. We're seeing a lot of tall, skinny dudes swimming really fast recently, and there's been this thought of, well, do we really need to get into the gym and get super strong and and big and powerful and and I don't know if it's shifted away. I've been out of the game for four years, but in your mind, has there been a shift away from getting as strong as we possibly can? Or where are we with the whole lifting scheme? Hard, I guess it's hard for me to say what the general feel out there is. Um, within our program, so somebody that I know you work closely with also was a big influence on me and that was bill boomer right and his he he would beat the drum over and over again about the how much more of a return there is in reducing drag than creating force mm. right so for every unit of additional of force that you create um or for every unit of of speed that you accelerate that you increase the drag for a given surface area increases exponentially. So you put a little more force into the water that will, that will increase the amount of drag that you're experiencing if it increases the, the speed that you're going. So mm -hmm. speed comes at a cost, right? Mm -hmm. And, and the people who are going to benefit most from, from the higher speeds, and be able to hold it for longer are people that shape their body to reduce drag. Right. Um, so it, it is still really important to be able to put force into the water. You're, you're not going to go 47 unless you can, unless you have strength and you can put that, that force into the water appropriately. But Ghee is so slippery mm. and he's got thin hips and he, presents a really narrow profile to the, mm -hmm. the flow of the water. Mm -hmm. um, and so adding strength to, to, to that kind of vessel will help. I think there's also, though, a feel that we got to talk about what strength is and, and how you apply force through a stroke cycle. And, it, and, and I'm going to dumb it down, but it's not through being able to bench press more. Right, right. Right. And it's it's really like what what must what sequence of muscles need to fire through, let's say, half of a stroke cycle from the time that somebody catches on the water to the time that they release the water. And what there's a lot going on in the human body. And some of that, some of your ability to do that well is limited by strength. A lot is limited by the, your ability to coordinate that movement at high force. So producing right. force is one thing, coordinating it is another. Right. And producing force in that sequence of movements is not just a function of muscle strength. And so that's why I think that what we do in the weight room is incredibly important, but it's not just about making muscles stronger. It's about mm -hmm. being able to summon power through through ranges of movements that are really highly skilled and coordinated um, and, and then creating pieces of that maybe in the weight room that, that can then translate to, to the pool. And, you know, that's a, I, I was listening to, to Chris, I don't know how it got recycled, but an older Chris Plum um, interview with you 
yeah uh, days ago where he said they have to learn to move and that, that's the simplest way to put it like moving well with great coordination in some some basic human movement patterns um, is that's foundational and then being able to do that with increasing force and speed through that movement is is kind of the next step and 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 that's i think more what we're working on yeah it, it got recycled because his team absolutely ripped it again and they're swimming so fast he's got kids flying all over the pool and we just went we just went back to the interview and we're like oh there's the answer like he said it like a year ago like yes. all you gotta do is go back and listen to it he's telling you what they're doing and how they're doing it and so we just recycled it and it was yeah that was again. that was awesome because i mean i he's he's one of the best and and yeah. he he puts it he put it really well that was yeah, right he there did. he did he did look if you ever want to figure out the balance between being strong and being fluid. I always just go back to Anthony Irvin and he, and he reminded me that of that the other day, right? Like uh, I saw a video of him in Hawaii. He's at, he was out there training next to Ben proud and Ben, you know, we know what Ben proud looks like. He's, he's jacked. And, and here is Anthony swimming next to him, you know, years into kind of a semi-retirement or retirement or wherever he is in life. He's, he's not, competitively swimming anymore like he was back in Rio when he won the gold 16 years apart but here he was looking like he could he, he he's still swimming effortlessly and beautifully like his hand placement and the way he held the water and the way he 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 took the water from the top of his stroke all the way to the back of his stroke and then he fluidly came comes out and hits a recovery and and just flowingly goes into the next cycle it's just like if you ever want to learn anything about swimming, just watch Anthony Irvin swim and, and then realize that it's this balance between this, the strength and the power and the fluidity and the flow and the ease and the, and the you know, all of, all of the things that you look for in an athlete. Anthony is kind of the epitome of that, you know? That's so well put. Yeah. I, there's this great, this, this great book. Um, I don't know if you've read born to run um no but I've, I've been told to read that a few times now so i need to get into that yeah i think jack roach recommended it to me but the guy who wrote it is christopher mcdougall the one that i would encourage you to start with because i think it has a lot of relevance to what what you're just describing is called natural born heroes so it's right. the book he wrote after born to run it's not maybe not as well known but really talks about the, the you know the nature of strength especially with and and this is in the context of um, the ancient Greeks. So part of the story is, is there's a stone that weighs 1, 1,100 pounds or something. Mm. And, and the, the myth is that this great Greek hero lifted this stone mm. and it, it, it can't, can't be really be lifted. Mm -hmm. Maybe somebody in the past 10 years who's been aided by drugs has been able to lift something that equivalent but this was many years ago and the and the the one of the tenets of the book is that the foundation of strength is not muscle it's it's the idea it's he talks a lot about fascia the fascial system mm. and how muscle is essentially a, it's it's the wires that moves the electricity but but the fascia are the 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 structural part that's what really moves that's what creates rhythm that's what creates strength coordination 
stores energy and releases it. And what you describe as what Anthony does is I think what all great swimmers do, Anthony is just this beautiful depiction of it, mm. is this, when he put puts energy into the system, it doesn't get wasted. It may go to stretch and that stretch gets a return in a spring forward. And then the momentum of that arm creates another stretch and that gets sent into this, a spring forward. I think that's what Erica Brown does as well as anybody that I've ever coached. Um, and for somebody her size, like she's strong, but she's not, she doesn't blow anybody away in the weight room, but she does the same thing. She's got this rhythm and flow and, and fluidity and kind of stretchiness to, mm. to the way that she swims that makes her kind of jump down the pool. Yeah. He, he does a lot of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. How's the journey been for you this, this season? I, each season was new and exciting and, and had its challenges and presented different things to me, but you know, like how's the, how's the journey been for you this season? Just personally. Yeah. It's been, like you said, it's really different from, from all others. Um, yeah. Wonderful parts. This one's been a little bit, um, uh, colored by, I had my knee replaced in December and that took me off the deck, uh, for a while disrupted my sleep yeah and and i felt myself um really counting on my staff more this year than i ever have before mm -hmm. like in my own mind you know and right. and they've just done a phenomenal job I, I i can't say enough about the just the the work ethic that that people on my staff have as well as you know their compassion for the athletes and and their ability to work together as well yeah um, and it's been different for me too this year because, um, you know, I, I still don't think we found a perfect system for, for coaching 70, um, I guess 65 swimmers, yeah. um, mm -hmm. with, Tough. even with a great staff of, mm -hmm. of Maddie Bannix joined our staff as a volunteer this year, and she's been a tremendous help. So mm -hmm. got, um, five assistant coaches, but that's. There's no yeah. perfect system, but this year I've spent a lot more time with, um, instead of dividing more men and women this year, we've divided a little bit more into groups based on uh, aerobic and anaerobic ability. So I've mm -hmm. worked more with the, the sprinters this year, um, people at the short end of the spectrum and men and women. So coached a lot more men this year than directly than I have in the past. And that's been awesome, really mm -hmm. rewarding. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's been fun to see, um, for our women, for instance, we had just a ton of health issues at the end of last year, um, that impacted our roster into this year and to see great, I think great swimmers are always emerging, right? right? And and swimmers are always growing and developing. So it was it'd be foolish to think, okay, we don't have these people with us this year. So what are we going to do? Well, what we're going to do is grow into the need for um, for somebody to step forward in critical moments. And and you know, if if there had been shade, then now there's sunlight for some people. And right. So it's really fun to watch that process. It, I mean, it never gets old. And people continually surprise me in 
in just wonderful ways by watching their development and watching their, you know, watching them bounce back from making mistakes too. Like we've had some, some, you know, significant mistakes this year and, and it, and I've, maybe this is getting older, but in some ways when that happens, like I really look forward to the bounce back, not just the yeah punishment, but how's this going to, how do we bounce back from this so that we're even better? Cause it's going to happen like nine times out of 10. If you're looking for that to happen, it'll happen. And we've, we've experienced some of that this year too. So, I mean, that's been, that's been really rewarding as well. Yeah. Well, you said you work more with the man question here. You mean, you've got a superstar on your team now and Jordan Crooks, he's done some phenomenal things over the kind of the last 12 to 18 months and a lot of excitement around him and, and, and what he can do at NCAAs, but also, I guess, where he could go potentially long course. I mean, we're, we're coming into an Olympic year, uh, you know, next year where, you know, that uh, all the money's on the table there. And, and, and there's a lot of talk about what he could possibly do. So do you see potential in him going from his short course prowess to being able to transfer that into a very competitive long course swim where he could potentially, you know, vie for a, an Olympic medal. So, you know, I'm going to say yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, this, this young man is so, uh, he, he's, he's extraordinary. And I think if you look at his progression from, well, look at, the way that he swam freshman year versus the way that he's swimming now. Um, and then let's project that forward. And it's not to say that that's inevitable, but it's to say that he's made some significant changes and it hasn't negatively impacted his performance. So sometimes when you make a change, whether it's right. technical or mental, then there's either a plateau or even a step back. And before that change yields a positive result. And sometimes for whatever reason, it never does. But he's, he's a student of the sport and he saw some of his deficiencies last year and really, you know, watched a lot of video with, with Rich Murphy and, um, and, and, his, and Josh Uji has done a, a really good job of kind of helping him um, with different kinds of feedback. But Jordan has really owned a lot of the process of figuring out what he needs to do to get better and then working on it. Mm -hmm. and, and long course is a different beast. Mm -hmm. um, he he does create some drag in his stroke. His shoulders are really really broad, and mm -hmm. he's got some. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of thoracic mobility. So mm -hmm. the rotational part of the stroke is is he he, he rotates less and a little bit asymmetrically from other people. So there is some some drag that he creates right. he creates tremendous force right and he also um he's getting it he's de really developing a sense of flow and moments in the stroke when he doesn't have to be applying power mm -hmm. i think that's one of the biggest changes that i've seen in him um and once he gets and, and he, he he has so now that he's gotten kind of a sniff of of that kind of rhythm then He's the kind of person who will explore that in practice and be able to repeat it at higher and higher speeds. So to answer the question, um, I mean, a medal is is a long way away from from where he is right now in terms of time. Right, right. 
Um, but he's got pieces that are really difficult to, to develop in a, a short period of time, like a year. He's already got those in place. And then some pieces that where the timeline is maybe undetermined, um, but you know, we're going to work on, okay, like how do we take that next step? And, and I think that he's got the ability to be 47 and he has the ability to be um, 21 mid to low. You know, in, I thought in the last 10 meters of the race at Short Course Worlds, I never got a great angle on him, but he looked to me like he was swimming. He was swimming with Ben. He was swimming with yeah, with yeah. Chalmers. Like yeah. these guys weren't out swimming him on the surface. No. And and so to me, yes, he's got to extend that further for a long course fifty. But he did that coming off the wall. Yeah. And he's and that competitiveness as well as his ability to learn and make mm -hmm. changes to me, like I wouldn't bet against the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there. And I think you summarized it really well in terms of what I was thinking too. Um, so you're definitely seeing the same things I'm seeing. Um, but there's, there's certainly some adjustments that can be made and some and some some thought patterns that can be adjusted too because that's what I had to do basically. I, I went from a short course swimmer to a long course. I had a short course mentality. Obviously, when I was in college, I had to. And it was, it was my bread and butter. I was, I was one of the team leaders at Auburn where I had to perform short course I went back year after year to try and make the Australian team and failed miserably. I couldn't swim long course and then finally made the decision to shift my mentality uh, a year out from the Olympics and dedicate myself solely to swimming long course and making this Olympic team. And when I shifted my mentality, it, it shifted the way I, I swam in the water. It, it changed me. And so I think that needs to be part of the process to it at some point for him, um, which I would, I would love, I'd be honored to kind of, um, at least help you guys on that journey and just in just Absolutely. awareness, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, I mean, even now I'd love to hear about what, what you thought of to, to change, to change from a short course mentality to long course mentality. And because we're, we're all the product of what we pay attention to. So right. what I think you, you said is you, you shifted your attention and then the, and that led you down a path that led you to the finals at the Olympic Games. Well, the attention is this, right? Like in a, in a short course pool, you've got a few cycles that you have to get right. You know, you got to get up on your stroke without spinning and slipping. Okay. And that that's similar to the long course, right? But you've got about three or four cycles that you've got to connect. And then you've got to shift into a, a turn, which is completely out of what you're doing. And then you've got to go into a streamline and underwater. And then you've got to shift back out into a connection again and then a maintenance and, and, a, and, a, and a finish, right? And, and one of the things that I used to do too in the short course pool is I would try and swim to the wall. And what I learned in the long course pool, it's better to swim through the wall. You know, I would always, I would always try and swim to the wall. And so the last five or 10 meters, I started snatching. I'd even start to lift my head a little bit. I'd start slipping at the water. And I'd try to get to the wall rather than just maintaining and swimming through the wall. So for me, I wasn't swimming a 50 long course anymore. I was swimming a 53 long course. I was swimming through that thing. And so what, what you've got to then do is shift into, I've got to be really powerful for a few cycles here too. I've got to be long and powerful and lengthy for a period of 15 cycles in a row. And I've got to maintain that 
And so it gets you get to a point at about the 35 meter mark where you've consciously got to tell yourself something that keeps you in that length, something that keeps you on that tempo because your body will will want to shift down, right? It'll want to start to slip and especially if you're if you're holding good length and good power and that's where uh, you really got to make conscious efforts and it, and it takes time. And then by the time you get to a point where it, that becomes automatic, you don't have to do that anymore. So one of the things I would do in my long course race was I would stay on a beat. You, you know, those things that you, um, you have in music where you, where you hit it and then it hits the other thing. What are those metronome things? Is that what they're yep. called? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I would have in my head, a metronome. And, and so my right side would click, my left side would click and it would just like bang, bang 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 and so you'd stay on the length but you'd stay on the tempo and so in my head i had a metronome for long course and i didn't have that for short course because it was like pop 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 turn right. kick 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 pop 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 finish you know so it was, it was a different mentality but in the long course pool it's like get up and get on a flow and maintain it's all about maintenance because you know what it's like in the long course pool it's not the person that swims the fastest it's the person that slows down the least that's what it, that's what it ultimately becomes because everybody's slowing down at some point, right? You're you're decelerating in some capacity. You're not you're not continually accelerating throughout the whole fifty, and this is where Bruno was very good. This is where we worked with Bruno. Bruno was, you know, six foot six foot one, not the biggest man on earth, but very very powerful, but very technical. And what he did was he he maintained from the thirty five to the fifteen better better than anybody else right like that last 15 meters bruno could maintain better it wasn't that he was accelerating but it looked like he was accelerating because everyone else was slowing down and bruno would just shift to the finish and that's the mentality that you've got to get into is this this maintenance of you know this this metronome of click 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 and it could be it could be a beat a rhythm in your head or it could be a word sometimes i would use a word like I would repeat to myself in time, length, 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 oh, length. Awesome. So it was just a word that I would repeat to myself. And it, and it just kept me, it kept me inside myself too. Because what you have is you have this, you have this furious wrestle between your competitors that are right next to you, right? Like you're, you're both trying to swim or all of you are trying to swim as fast as you possibly can in this body of water. And so the, the, the idea is like, well, if I pull a little bit harder than that person, if I rip a little harder, I can see him out of the side here. I'm going to swim faster, and that's that's counterproductive. Right? You want to stay in a flow. You want it. You want it to be ease. I was I was in a in a in a race where I wanted to be as aggressive and relaxed as I possibly could. Right? And and so by the time I would finish my race, I remember when I swam my best time at the Olympics. Um. I, I genuinely thought I was not going to progress to the final. I genuinely thought that uh, going into the semifinal. I, I was ranked 13th. I had finished 13th at the last Olympics. I'm going into the semifinal. I'm ranked 13th. I'm like, I'm done. This is it. Fuck it. I'm just going to swim as fast as I can. And I just went out there and I just ripped. I just let myself rip. And I swam my best time. I qualified second fastest for the final. And I got to the end of the pool and I just thought to myself, what did I just do? How, how did I do that? And the, 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 how I did it was I just allowed myself to do it, you know, um, that's how I did it. So there, that, there's a lot of thoughts there. So that's, yeah, no, I, I, that's all awesome. And yeah. And I mean, you and I will talk again after, as we make the shift in the long course season, because it's all 
great stuff. And, and, and that's the point we want to get to, I think, where, where you finish the race and wonder, what did I just do? But that's the product of that year of paying attention differently and yeah. year of, of being intentional and actually slowing down so that you can, you can understand the, the sensations and the movements you're trying to create. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this question's been asked twice, so we might as well get to it. Uh, thoughts on this? Uh, I mean, <laughs> the question is, what are the factors that lead led you to shift the training groups for your program this season? It's always trying to get better, and and you know, listening to my staff um, and their feedback. I I think last year we we didn't end the season the way we wanted. And there were a lot of, um, I think that there were a lot of factors around that. But one thing that each, I think every coach feels like they, um, we, well, I'll back up a little bit. As a head coach, there are many different ways you can be a head coach. One is to essentially be the CEO and put people where they're, where they're going to be best. Right. And as a, and, and then you can decide as a head coach, how much you actually want to coach, but there are head coaches of division one teams that really don't coach a lot, but, but are really great at putting people in positions of strength. Um, I have never loved that head coach, uh, th that particular model, like mm. my, I love to coach. I'm a coach and, and, and I love coaching one person. I love coaching all events. I love coaching men. I love coaching women. So we've toggled back and forth between, you know, me having oversight over the entire group yeah. at times and, you know, and writing, not writing all the practices, but making all the plans for everybody. Um, that was overwhelming for me, dissatisfying for assistance. Um, to splitting it kind of men and women where I did that for, for the women for a while and others did it for the men. That was dissatisfying because I didn't feel like I had contact with the men. Mm -hmm. So this is a model that we kind of talked through as a staff. And, um, and you know, in the, at the end of, the, at, of that process, we essentially said, every athlete's going to be really well taken care of. And no matter who is coaching them, um, we want a coach that knows them really well. Like we, we want we want a coach that really understands them, has seen them enough times through different parts of the season, different kinds of workouts to, to help steer them in the, in the critical times. And so this was a structure we came upon. I'd be, I would be just as happy coaching, um, I mean, any event, any configuration. But I think this put our assistant coaches in positions where they are strong. Um, and and it, the athletes, I think, have, have really benefited com compared to some other models we discussed, benefited from having one person or two people in some cases, um, knowing them really well, seeing them through every practice. So yeah, it's just all an attempt to get better. Man, it's it's such a tough balance. People don't realize how difficult it is to just continually to get right. I mean, I I, I take my hats off to to the Eddie Reese's and and um, 
you know, Dave Durans and people that are just constantly having success, um, you know, th throughout history, it it's a difficult thing to do year after year. It really is. Um, you got, you got new teams, new coaches, um, new factors, new, new, um, you know, uh, administrators. So yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's always a challenge to come up with what's the best for us this year, you know, and like you said, yeah. it, you, you went through a knee surgery, you weren't expecting that. So it's like, so many different factors that come into each season that it's, it's difficult, but um, I, I think you're um, attacking it the right way. I think if I was to do it again, I would I'd probably do it exactly the way you're doing it right now. So I think you're probably onto the best system I would think. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging. Everybody's got their own way of doing it. And um, I think it comes down to the staff just being on the same page for sure, you know, which Big is time. important. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really fortunate to have that. Yeah. Well, listen, I appreciate your hour. I know you, you're busy. I know this is a, this is a big time for you. Um, remind us again. So mattkreditch.com. Remind us the name of the uh, clinic. It's called the Matt Credit School of Thought. And Matt Credit School of Thought. Yep. Can I say a couple other things about the people who will be there? Yeah. So Jan will be here. And the idea with each person is that the day one is kind of this foundational opportunity to, to learn kind of the the structure that they approach high performance and high performance swimming with um, day two and three will be more intensive, almost like workshop opportunities to write workouts and get feedback that, that um, fit either a season plan or a specific set of goals, write season plans, um, talk about case studies, uh, kind of dig deep into those kinds of things. Um, so some of the other people that are, presenting include um uh emma swanick who was who, who's also a physiologist and she's taken uh jan's model and added another dimension to it which is looking at blood glucose as mm. correlated with speeds and performance mm. she's been generously working with our team for the past couple three years and I've learned a tremendous amount from her. There's, it's it's kind of it adds quite a bit to the, your ability to steer, especially in the short term. Um, and so, her, like her model, she she's created a model. She's, uh, I think, the rest of the sporting world is starting to catch up to it. Like you'll see cyclists now wearing continuous glucose monitors. Mm -hmm looking at blood glucose, um, but her, her model is really pretty awesome to, 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 be, to be able to understand and work with, and it's not overwhelming. So she'll mm -hmm. be here to talk about that. Um, Chris Martin, who uh, coached in the United States for a long time, um, I think was the last person to put two high school boys on an Olympic team in the United States, um, worked in Great Britain, especially with coach education for 10 years, and then coached in China for a bit, and now is the head coach for Malaysian swimming. Chris is going to be here. To me, he's one of the great coaching minds in the world. He's worked quite a bit with Emma. Um, so he's going to talk about coach development and more practical applications of some physiological ideas. Uh, and then we have this incredible resource that's working with our team right now. Her name is Rachel Vickery, and she has worked with our team for maybe the past six years. And her 
her background is in breathing and performance. And I mean, I, I'd love to talk to you at some point about kind of what I've learned through her and, and others about how neglected breathing is in swimming mm. and not just breathing in a race, although that's monumentally important, but um, the way that we breathe in in the other 20 mm -hmm. hours a day. Yeah. Um, there's, I think, a lot of good information that's come out over the past couple of years on that, but we, we feel like we've we've done a lot with our program that's built around good breathing and all of the implications. So Rachel will be here. She's also a, a high performance um, coach and specialist. So uh, she'll be here to, to kind of lead us through an introduction to breathing performance and then some, some really cool, more practical systemic applications that you can implement with your team. So very cool. Those four are pretty much an all-star cast. And um, like selfishly, I just want to be around those three for three or four for three days. And yeah, and then yeah. you add the additional coaches on top of it. And it's just, to me, yeah. it's going to be, I'll be a kid in a candy store. I want to be there. I want to get there. So make sure you please text me um, some information so I can put it in my calendar and, and get it set. I want to come too. All right. Absolutely. You'll be here. Yeah. Uh, Mark says that the link's not working. The link's not working for another couple of days. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. So Our try it. Try it later in the week. Yeah. Yeah. Let's. We're we're targeting Friday. Friday. Okay. Yeah. Try it. Try it Friday. If it's not working, come back Monday. But it'll definitely be up in the next few days. So it's it's happening. It's still happening. But there's 60 spots, Mark. You'll get in for sure. No problem at all. Um, and then the other thing is, is it going to be available offline at some point or online at some point so people can purchase it? Yeah, um, we, we'll record everything and then have that available, uh, have that available online for people to, to purchase the, the, cool. the videos and probably not transcripts. So we'll just video, video each of the lectures and the, and the uh, yeah. workshops. That's cool, man. Good stuff. Uh, awesome. Listen, uh, Exciting couple of weeks, man. Good luck with everything. I hope it all clicks for you and your team. I'm sure you've done the work and, and you've, you've gone prepared, man. So I'm, I'm excited to see you guys perform real well, okay? Appreciate it, Brett. Thanks all for right, the Matt. opportunity to come on. It's great to see you. Yeah, thanks for everyone listening in. I appreciate this. This is cool. Um, it's just This is fun for me. So, yep. Talk to you guys later. Ciao. All right. Have a great day. I would like to tell a story of how swim angel fish improve my skills and a major aspect of my life. Okay, and then you are controlling on the whole time. First of all, when I was a small child, when I was like four years old, I had a fear of going in the water because I was afraid of getting my Going water going in my eyes and also the fear of drowning. No flippers. Do you want me to hold you? Oh yes, the whole time. Let's finish this. I gotcha. Good job, Peter. I'm hanging on the whole time. What was that? Easy or hard? You tell me. It was. I'm a. You're a good swimmer. Your body floats. Oh.
Did you see that time how there was no discussion and I just grabbed the opportunity in a much better way? Can you please hold on the whole time? I'm touching my girl. Smile. Can you show me the smile? And when I got to the age of 11, I wanted to start I wanted to start developing swimming skills because I noticed that a lot of my friends and peers have are good at swimming. Well, let's show them how we learn to I can now let go the whole way. The whole way? Yeah. So how about you're gonna come around and see from the whole way for your first time ever with not me touching. Can I swim next to you? Yeah, of course. Oh, so Excuse me. Sit. In conclusion, I think I would like to thank Swim Angelfish for doing a great job of helping me develop confidence, bravery, and skill.